0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Big Ten Football Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Guggenheim. We are welcoming a special guest, Justin Adams, here to talk about Nebraska. Before we get to Justin, make sure you like, follow, subscribe wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify. We're on YouTube. Hit that like button, smash that subscribe button. But let me also welcome Justin Adams. Justin, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me, man. appreciate it.
0: Why don't you share with us a couple things? One, how you got into podcasting and where we can find you. Uh, and also maybe a little bit about your background with Nebraska.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So um, you know, what one of the biggest things that that, you know, kind of springboarded me into uh husker content specifically was growing up as a Nebraska fan and just, you know, my uh every single week was kind of like, you know hinged on the way Nebraska did. You know, I, I grew up in Texas, so I was in Longhorn territory, but my, my family's from Nebraska, so I grew up, you know, from when I was born going to a Nebraska game every single season, so it's kind of just, uh, you know, birthed into it. My family's divided, half Texas, Longhorns, half Nebraska, so that's fun. Um, and then, you know, my dream growing up was just to cover Nebraska football. Um, you know, I ended up getting into podcasting with my buddy about, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. We started a fantasy football podcast, just kind of, you know, having fun with it. And then, um, you know, eventually just, you know, due to circumstances at work and stuff like that, I just couldn't find what I was passionate about. And, uh, you know, it just kind of one thing led to the next. And I was able to, you know, upgrade my stuff and um, get on with um, Nebraska football at the Voice of College Football over there with Mark Rogers um and so you know you can find me over there and then recently uh me and a guy I had networked with from the Illini cast um created our own Big Ten show and stuff like that so you know it's a long journey here um trying to find my you know my lane and what I wanted to do but you know truly happy to be here and uh happy to be on the show with you that's one of the biggest things is networking with other people and getting to know other people in this so so happy to be here man
0: yeah cool, cool and so Mark Rogers, the voice of college football. When does that, uh, air?
1: Yeah. So we have uh Tuesday live streams. It's Tuesday at seven Eastern, um, for the Nebraska stuff. Um, and then for everything else, you know, you can just go over to the Mark Rogers voice of college football network. And, I'm um, one of his channels, either team channels or his main channel are streaming all day, every day. So there's call-ins and all that, all that stuff. So you can, whatever you want to talk about, Colin, you can find on there. So, um, awesome. Yeah, definitely go check that out
0: cool and the big 10 show that's new right yes. that's where 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 and when can we find that
1: so that one um you can find us at big 10 show on uh x and then uh big 10 show on uh youtube as well um might be a little hard to find just because we get buried in the algorithm so um but You know, it's we've got probably about 10, 11 videos up right there. And uh, on that one, we do kind of breaking news type of recordings. And we're going to get into uh, team previews, you know, for each team. We're going to bring a reporter on from each team, kind of break down everybody going to the season. We'll do some power rankings, et cetera. So um, a lot coming up there. Um, So that one's video oriented. And then uh, on Mark Rogers channels, I also do uh, a lot of recordings as well. So you can check all that out. A lot to like on, on both. So.
0: Well, hopefully we, uh, we can help boost the algorithm so people can find you a little bit easier. So
1: likewise, appreciate it.
0: Nice. Well, I, uh, I'm excited. We're going to talk Nebraska and I've, I've loved what Nebraska has done since moving on from Scott Frost. Uh, listeners from the early going know that I was a very heavy criticizer of Scott Frost and I'm very excited about Matt Rule. Um, this year they went five and seven. So I think a lot of people expected more. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the vibe is just way different than at the end of the Scott Frost era. Um, has it felt different to you? And, and if so, why?
1: 100 percent. It's uh, the the we could have finished with the same, you know, record as the last Scott Frost season and I would have felt the same way one of the main things that i was telling, you know, nebraska fans because a lot of them coming off the season with, you know, being that close to bowl eligibility and then kind of, you know, falling off the table there at the end of the season, rattling off some some close losses there at the end that Iowa was brutal. Um right. but, you know, coming out of that there's a lot of emotion and people are, you know, really up in arms, but if if it's it's because of the emotion of being in that situation, right? And being there on the doorstep of bowl eligibility. Which is something we haven't felt in a while, and so one of the biggest things I pointed to was if you look at all of the issues that this team had when Scott Frost got fired, and you list those right, and that comes down to penalties, you know, ill time turnovers, which which still happened, um, you know, just lack of effort. The the team was just not cohesive. There was always some kind of friction within the um you know organization the the unity of the athletic department as a whole there was just no connection no buy-in it just felt like Scott Frost was kind of was kind of there and you know there was rumors about him being you know late to meetings or or you know showing up drunk to meetings after you know and so that kind of shows where the issues lie with Riolà. one of the biggest reasons why you know him and Riolà. dylan riola didn't have a good connection is because he canceled one of the uh visits with uh, Riolà and did it via zoom call and so it's like that's a five-star recruit right there you know and so it's little little things like that whereas rule right like rule is also you know he comes from a background as uh minister preacher and so like you can when he speaks right like he he can command a room and there's there's leadership qualities about him that just jump off when you just hear him speak, and looking at what he has done in terms of the athletic department, right? He's there supporting and bringing recruits to women's basketball games. You know, he's out there um, buying food for the volleyball team and taking a picture. You know, it's he he's really embracing and bringing a culture in there that that wasn't there before, and, and the culture is that of. You know, it's it's going to be structured. It's going to be um, done his way. But there's a camaraderie to this team and, and the way that the kind of overall vibe is with the team, it just has them wanting to play for each other. And that that comes out on the field. You can see these guys, they trust each other on the field and that's leading to them playing loose and free. Whereas before, I just think it was a lot of thinking. I, I, you know, when you when you can't play on instinct, you're really, really going to have a hard time playing the game of football because you're going to be slow. You're going to be late on everything. If you're thinking you have to be instinctive, you have to react. And I think that's what this team does that Scott Frost team didn't do. And, you know, at the same time that Scott Frost team started 0 6 his first season, you know, 0 6 beat Minnesota at home. And. You know, one of the biggest things too about the naysayers to rule, as I was telling him, is like have that same amount of patience with rule. What people have done in, in some some instances is carry over the impatience from the frost era into the uh rule era and and you got to reset it just like we did with frost. You gotta reset that and give him the same um the same respect. And it's just a matter of what he's been able to do with, you know, the recruiting. The recruiting is 100 times better. I mean, you know, landing a guy like Dylan Raiola and landing Carter Nelson and and Grant Bricks who are our three biggest targets and we we got those guys we didn't have to go to our secondary options. Not only that, we landed a guy like Kalen, Um a four-star, you know, quarterback who came in even with Raiola and and that's hard to get a four-star in today's modern college football world to come in in the same class as a five-star. But it's because he believes in this staff and he believes in in coach Rule and um and it's evident in, in everything he does. I, and we'll get into the to the hiring on the staff and stuff like that and some of the uh, the decisions he's made in the transfer portal. But navigating right now with a very, very, you know, we're 10 over on scholarships. So he's navigating with a – that's why we have a small transfer portal class. Um, we're about 10 over in scholarships. So the numbers aren't there, but he's still, you know, recruiting and getting high-impact guys and, and guys that are instantly going to come in and start. And it didn't seem like Frost had a plan. Uh, Matt Rule definitely has a plan.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think something I I had mentioned, and I think you're you're just giving us so much more insight into this. But it, culture really matters in, yeah. especially in college football. You know, mm-hmm. in in all sports it it matters, but culture really does matter. And I I think it was the Minnesota game, the first game of the season, where Nebraska lost in painstaking fashion again. Mm-hmm. and i saw everybody reacting and i was like guys it takes a long time to kind of flush that out of your system yep and i was grateful then that i think down i think it was 3 3 or 4 games later they they had a close win and they held on to it and i was like mm-hmm. see like this is like this is a step in the right direction yeah. i i think the other thing and this is this is off off book but I think a lot of people wanted uh, Matt Rule to be like Deion Sanders, and so Deion had a lot of the flash, the the, the flash and the style early on, and he had the big win, obviously the big win against Nebraska. But I think people didn't realize how much of the infrastructure needed to be rebuilt, and you can't do that with what like Deion was was uh, he was kind of pasting over bad culture whereas matt rule is kind of getting it down or trying to build from ground zero again yeah
1: yeah and the way i the way i you know use those two programs like when when i think about those two programs each of those coaches i feel like recruited the way that they absolutely had to okay so with nebraska we have resources we have you know the history we have these things that we can recruit from and, and we can point to and be like, you know, a lot of players want to come restore Nebraska's glory. Right. Dylan Raiola talked a lot about that. And a lot of these players, and the reason why Nebraska's still been able to have top 25 recruiting classes pretty consistently is because even these kids hear about when Nebraska was and, and they, they go in there and they see, you know, all of the, the trophies and all this other stuff and the fan support and, Colorado really didn't have those things to point at and to, you know, be like, come to Colorado. And so I feel like with that being said, Colorado was one of those teams that needed a flashy hire to come in and really bring, you know, those quick transfer portal guys and those big name guys. Because I don't think Colorado is the type of school that you can come in and you can completely just flip around and turn into like a, uh, a winning program with where they were. I think it's one of those things where they needed that flashy face to come in there. I don't think Matt Rule would have moved the needle in Colorado. You know, I think he would have done well there, but I don't think that was the right fit for him. Just like, you know, Dion wouldn't been wouldn't have been the right fit in Nebraska. He's a lot of flash, not a lot of substance. He's, you know, not yeah. a not a good recruiter. Um, you know, he's really just very reliant on these kids that want to go play for prime. And we'll see if that works out there. But um, with matt rule coming over in to nebraska it's like he's a guy that you know we talk about the importance of culture and with the culture you know it's everything culture is everything and that's why i think you know over on dion's team you see a lot of undisciplined plays you see a lot of undisciplined guys you know you got his sons going to a paris fashion show instead of missing the first team meeting a couple days ago whereas you know there's accountability um you know over on the nebraska side and stuff like that and it's it's the little fine-tuned details like that that i think will separate the you know the teams that can be middle of the road from the teams that can you know be back at the top and Mm. there's certain things in in the way dm recruits that won't work you can't patchwork an offensive line together through the transfer portal i firmly believe that you have to build an offensive line they need cohesion they need camaraderie and um And so, yeah, I I just think I think those those polar opposites of what those programs are. And then the Nebraska game, you know, coming into the season, you know, Jeff Sims was supposed to be the guy. And, you know, Matt Rule made all the right decisions up until, you know, it was time to pick a quarterback. And unfortunately, that was the, the biggest decision he needed to make. And the one they got wrong was picking the wrong quarterback. Jeff Sims was not it. And, um, so, you know, we went into that Colorado game with Jeff Sims and Jeff Sims had four fumbles, fumble, four snaps, you know, in that first half. And, you know, what Nebraska needed to do in that game was, was establish a run and wear down that small Colorado, uh, defensive line, but they, they kept giving them the ball back. Our defense stayed on the field and honestly playing at altitude, our defense got worn down after a while, yeah. you know, the game was close until the end, but, um, I think the trajectory of the programs is going to be completely different. And, um, you know, I just. The the close losses, yeah, they were still there. But the the close losses and the turnovers were two of the things that were still there. Everything else from year over year seemed to have gotten fixed. And in my opinion, turnovers are one of the easier things to coach out of kids because, I mean, ball security is something that can be taught. You know, there's certain things athletically and intangibles and innately that can't be developed. Ball security is one of them. So, you know, that's that's a good positive, at least on that side. But yeah, it's it's gonna take it's gonna take um time. And I think this season and and getting these lumps out of the way the first season was um necessary. And these players are gonna grow. You know, Nebraska didn't lose a lot of people in the portal. We didn't yeah. lose really any any um big talent in the portal. And and I think that's another thing culture-wise, you know, these players in the world of transfer portal want to be there and want to play for him and want to be part of this.
0: Yeah, and that's that. I think that leads to my next question. Is obviously they've they've got a lot of talent coming back. Mm -hmm. Henrik uh, Henrik Harburg is back. Sims Mm -hmm. and Purdy or not, but I didn't realize this. But Harburg had all their wins. He was five and three. The other guys were over. And you know Harburg had some flashes. Certainly had some moments where you're like, oof, this is rough. Yeah, but. Like he he was certainly the guy going forward. Is is he the definitive starter next year? Or do you think Rayola or another quarterback comes in and competes for the job next year?
1: It's uh it's it's Rayola's to lose right now. Um
0: really? okay. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, and Kalen is gonna battle, but the reality is right now, unless they bring in another quarterback, which will be hard to bring in a portal quarterback at this point that especially wants to come in and compete with a five star. Um, you know, Heinrich Harburg is a very good athlete. Um, he's just very limited as a quarterback and especially with the way that they want to run this offense. So he was very dependent on his legs. And then as the season went along, you know, very early on in the season, when, when he first started, you know, he was, he was very, physical and you know was was see an opening and he would take it and you know he would run into the interior line he would lower shoulder into a guy but we had him running 20 22 times a game and over the course of the season you started to see him get a little bit more hesitant as he was um you know would run towards the line of scrimmage he would kind of hunker down a little bit and be a little bit more hesitant attack which led to a lot of those runs that he was getting not turning into into yards And, and you saw our points per game suffer and he just didn't have the ability to consistently be accurate, especially with the deep ball. And one of the biggest things that Marcus Satterfield offenses, you know, want to do is he does like to get big and physical. He likes to run, you know, multiple tight ends. He likes to, to uh, you know, s- to run the ball and be really physical in the run game. But he also likes to set up the deep pass. And, you know, we didn't have that ability because Heinrich Harburg's one of his biggest struggles is, is accuracy with the deep ball. And that's one of Ryola's biggest strengths. And so Harburg is very much—I yeah, I consider him like a Taysom, Taysom Hill type of quarterback, where he can make throws. But if you ask too much of him, if you ask him to read the defense, if you ask him to look at post snap, you know, coverages, you know, try to distinguish a shell defense. Are they running zone? Are they running man? Cover two? Cover three? It's you're not really going to get him to do that. You're also not going to get him to go through his progressions. It's 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 a read and he's out, and that made the offense really really hard to run. It's hard to to run an offense with a quarterback who's a running guy who can only make one read and out, especially with our entire receiving core basically being down to true freshmen. Um, our, our entire rec- receiving core got injured. Marcus yeah. Washington was our most tenured. Um, he got injured. Isaiah Garcia Castaneda got injured, and we lost Trey Palmer to the draft. previous year and so it it was it was a lot of struggle um but you know i think heinrich harburg is going to be a good leader mentor in that locker room to these guys but it's it's uh it's dylan's to lose right now it's it's probably going to be him
0: with with that you know obviously there was a lot of smoke with dylan to nebraska it was a big win you know he was committed to ohio state then he was committed to georgia Yep. And now he's at Nebraska. So there's already a lot of cachet attached to, to Dylan's name because those are two of the top five programs in college football. Yep, And Nebraska beat them out yep. and, and really beat Georgia out more yep. than anybody else. What does that – How does that signal a shift in how we should view the Huskers in terms of the national landscape moving forward?
1: I, I, you know, I, I think so for a, a couple of reasons. One of the the biggest things that you know Scott Frost wasn't able to do is, like I said earlier, he kind of dropped the ball in the recruiting of Raiola, and then of course, you know, um, Matt Rule came in and immediately, you know, tried to reestablish that connection and, and get that going. And, and Nebraska was the favorite to land him there for a little bit um after his visit out to nebraska and then he went to the national championship game you know where georgia beat tcu and then you know that was his you know he met kirby smart out there and and did his visit out there and you know it's it's easy to get caught up in that pomp and circumstance you know of that and being out there and being in it and just you know seeing all the celebration and you know it's there's a lot and so People, I feel like, are really hard on Dylan for what they call quote-unquote commitment issues. But what they got to understand is, first off, he's a high school kid. And I know he moved high schools uh, multiple times. But the the moving of high schools wasn't his decision. That was his dad. You know, his dad was a historic lineman for Nebraska, you know, played in the NFL. Um, his uncle was our offensive line coach. So there's there's been those connections there. And, of course, you know, he's from Nebraska. Um, and well from Hawaii, but you know, his dad played Nebraska. So he lived, uh, so it's, and, and he's always there. So it's one of those things where it's like, it was the legacy versus, you know, the, the Georgia, the top of the top. And I think based on his comments after he, his heart was always with Nebraska, but like I said, it's just, he's an 18 year old kid. He gets the pool of like all of that stuff going on. You see all those people, you see all the cameras, all, you know, it's, it's easy when you're a five-star number one in the, in the country and want to really go to the NFL and be successful, have a successful career to, to just fall into that trap. And, Mm -hmm. but afterwards he was basically just like, he's like, I took the time, you know, to sit here and, and think back of what I really wanted to do. And, you know, he said, he just felt like, you know, it was his purpose to go and restore the order in Nebraska and bring Nebraska back to what they were. And so I you know, I don't think it's one of those things because people are like, he'll be gone in a year and all that other stuff. I don't think that's the case because, you know, he was trying to side out of the top of the top in Nebraska, which he has ties to. Where else would he go? You know, there's yeah. no other place that that fits for him. Nebraska seemed to be the best fit all along. The reason why I think it changes the national landscape is, you know, players want to come play with a guy that can help them, is beneficial to them. And coming off of last season with that offense that we fielded, it was going to be tough sled and try to get a skill position player to want to come play here. I I promise you that. And so that was almost necessary that we needed a big splash in the quarterback, you know, area to be able to land even some of these guys that we have out of the portal because wide receiver was a big a big need but it can't be understated how much we needed receivers and i don't know how well we would have done bringing guys in otherwise you know with with the quarterback situation the way it was so um i think it helps in that regard in terms of recruiting and just you know another thing matt rule building these relationships with these guys you know he didn't he always says he didn't continue to recruit dylan but um, mm-hmm. After he committed to Georgia, because he does, he tries not to do that. But you know, he's like he was—he was there if he needed him, and and he builds genuine relationships with these kids. And I think that is one of the biggest things that came out of this is the fact that Dylan saw that, and Dylan reached out to Matt Rule. Rule, Rule didn't reach out to him; it was the other way around. Wow. Yeah,
0: that's so. a big deal. Yeah. So let me throw you a curveball here, and if if you don't know the answer, that's okay, mm-hmm. uh, or it, it, if you need time to think about it. If Dylan Rayola was the starter last year for all 12 games, Mm -hmm. what's Nebraska's record?
1: So I'll preface this with saying that there is a college football, I think it's college football data on Twitter, something, something like that, where they do this aggregate score every year of the win total, right? And then they have a formula to make up the, Projected expected win total, what it should have been. Yeah. The way they do that is they randomize every single play in every single game. And, you know, the turnovers aren't at ill advised times. You know, they're just randomly sporadic throughout the penalties, everything. The play results, all of that gets randomly uh, randomized. And Nebraska, three of the last five seasons has been number one on that list. This last season, they were at five wins. The win expectancy was eight. And so oh. I think probably you know we had a top 25 defense did have a young receiver core you know lost a lot of games by one score I would say probably comfortably in the eight to nine win range based on that you know I I still think there would be some growing pains but the schedule overall was fairly easy last year and um so so I do believe we would have probably been in the eight range conservatively probably nine
0: yeah and and I mean at that point I mean, there was a point last year where i thought could nebraska compete for the big 10 west and get to the big 10 championship game
1: yeah it, it it's uh there was flashes there was flashes for sure but it, it was the it was the injuries i mean we lost our starting two running backs by by week five we only had um we had eight of our 11 opening day starters out yeah so it, it was it was it was rough sledding yeah we were down to true freshmen all over the field which was good for development though.
0: Yeah, good okay. for development, but when, yeah, I mean that's tough for anybody. I mean, it would have it would have been tough for Michigan, let alone Nebraska. Yeah.
1: And that's why, like you know, those close games were still, you know, these guys aren't experienced. They they, but I mean, I tell you what, they grew a lot from those those close games.
0: Yeah, that that's really insightful to talk about the depth. I knew that the the top two running backs were out, and I knew that there were a number of injuries. I didn't realize it was that. That severe with eight, eight guys out on, yeah. the, on the offense.
1: Yeah, and at one point, all three quarterbacks and all three quarterbacks, you know, two of them being running quarterbacks and Chuba barely, you know, he runs, but, you know, didn't have a ton of experience. Um, and so, like, you know, with three running quarterbacks and at one point, all of them were banged up um, with, with lower body injuries. And so that's another reason why I was just like, you know, if this was a Scott Frost team, this team would have won one game. You know, and and wow. Matt Rule had him at a position to win. You know, because Scott Frost' team stayed fairly healthy outside. You know, Martinez was there most of the time. Trey Palmer, you know, Casey Thompson was. The, you know, the, Trey Trey Palmer was the biggest part of that offense last year. He stayed healthy in the year before, and so the the fact that they were able to patchwork this team together the way they did and still, um, you know, manage five wins. It, it's looking at it. Looking at just the record alone doesn't, doesn't really – it understates how well this coaching staff did.
0: Yeah. And and we'll we'll talk about the coaching staff in a minute, but mm-hmm. coming in with Raiola, you mentioned the, the excitement around a player of that caliber. Well, they have some transfers coming. Uh, yes. I think Nayer and Banks at wide receiver. Uh, is it Dowdell or Dowdle? Uh,
1: yeah, I've heard it said both. I, I just say Dowdle.
0: Okay but he's coming in at running back.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, how does that, how do those pieces impact the offense for next year?
1: Yeah, though. And you know, those are some of the pieces that I, you know, they're very much Matt rule type of uh, guys, because what these guys are is they're under the radar for certain reasons. Right. But they're still highly rated instant impact type of guys. So you got a guy like Dante Dowdle, Dante Dowdle is not really an under radar radar guy. He was, a top 10 running back in the 2023 recruiting class um, over at Oregon, just, you know, was a true freshman, didn't play much, um, but averaged over five yards of carry. And looking, you know, I went back and watched, you know, the high school film because I didn't really have much college film on him, but just a very physical runner at the point of attack. You know, he's one of those guys that can come in and be a workhorse if need be. Um, but he can also, you know, be a kind of a change of pace guy and be more physical back to where we have, you know a guy like uh Ramir Johnson type of running back where he's going to be out and you know kind of getting in space and stuff like that but but what Dowdle does is he he really he really fits Marcus Satterfield's type of offense and that's one of the biggest things and not only that just being able to go get a top 10 guy um out of the 2023 class just as a transfer was was huge um so I think long term he's going to be a very very big key piece to this team um short term Jamal Banks, uh, in my opinion, is going to be the number one receiver in the offense next year. He's going to be the X receiver. Jamal Banks, man, when when watching his his film, um, you know they didn't have a good offense over there at Wake, but he was our number one receiver, and uh, his physic his physicality, the the way he goes up and gets the ball, he really attacks the ball. He's got great ball skills. Um, the the only couple things that I think he can work on a little bit polish of his route running, but You know, he is, he's a monster and, and his stats don't show that. And that's why he's kind of a little bit under the radar in terms of that. It's just because the wake offense and the Wake quarterback's not good, Um, but 1200 yards over the last couple of seasons. And he's really what Nebraska has been missing. Malachi Coleman was a four-star, you know, our big fish in the last year's class. But again, he's very, very young, very inexperienced. We needed a guy with experience. Jamal Banks is, is, you know, he's got uh, three seasons under his belt. So, He's going to be a key piece. And Isaiah Nair from Texas is very interesting. Um, To look at what Isaiah Nair, you know, how good he is. You have to go back to Wyoming before he transferred to Texas. Um, He had, I believe, over over 1,200 yards um, there in a single season. I I can't quite remember off the top of my head. But at Wyoming, very, very good. He went over to Texas in 2022 coming into the season. He was supposed to be, um, you know, compete with Xavier worthy for the number one wide receiver role. And he was supposed to be a big, big key cog in that offense. Well, you know, he got injured um, in the spring game. And so he had to set out all of 2022. Well, then, you know, 2023 came around and they made a little switch. And then he, he struggled to get, you know, with the, co- uh, the coaching staff change, he struggled to get onto the field after that, have one reception for 14 yards. But, Looking back at his tape, you know, now he's a year removed from the ACL tear, and looking back at what he did, you know, that's – these guys recover 100% from ACL tears, you know, yeah. nowadays in modern medicine. What he does is he he's going to be – he's a big body guy too, but and he can also go up and get 50-50 balls, but he's a deep stretch guy. He runs a 4 four forty. The dude can can absolutely fly. And so he is going to be the absolute, you know – 1B to Jamal Banks' is 1A, where Jamal Banks is going to be that sure-handed reception type of guy mm. and the red zone type of guy. And Isaiah Nair can do a little bit of both, but you want to get the ball in his hands and get him in space and and try to hit him on, on deep routes because in the open field, he's he's a handful. But um, yeah, I think I think it's kind of one of those things where Jamal Banks is probably going to have the biggest impact next year, followed by Nair. Um, and then, you know, Gabe Irvin's coming back. So our running back room's a little bit more bolstered. But I think da- Dante Dowdle, career-wise, is going to have a great career at Nebraska for sure.
0: Well, it's helpful to, you know, every every player that we just talked about, you described big, physical. Yep. Which even with, with Nair, you know, as a speedster, like big body, yep. physicality, mm-hmm. which I think it's helpful because I remember seeing, I think almost every Nebraska game, seeing people say, Marcus Satterfield's not it at OC and yeah. this is not but it's just there's a reality that if you want to be a physical team but you don't have the key pieces to be physical yeah then it's hard to do what you want to do mm-hmm. um and so I'm excited at just as you're talking about I'm excited to see what this new look corn husker team will look like under Satterfield in year 2 because I think I think we'll get to see just more of what Satterfield brings to the table as a coordinator But also we're gonna get to see, I think we're gonna get to see at least flashes of of what Dylan Rayola can do with with an actually good wide receiving core and a good running back core. So
1: absolutely. And and Satterfield much maligned for, you know, I I don't understand because if people are gonna be patient with rule, they have to be patient with Satterfield for the same reasons I mentioned in the offensive. He can't go out there and play. You know, he can only work with what he's got and and he did. The best he could with what he had, and he didn't have a lot. And so, you know, I, I think it's going to really, you know, like I said, he likes to throw the deep ball, and we couldn't even throw the deep ball. So, he, he what we're going to see next year is going to be completely different. It's going to be more, more to, um, more to his strengths, and it's just all about like, like, kind of talked about getting his type of personnel in there, getting these big physical guys. In there to to run the style of offense he wants and and really impose his will there. But yeah, Satterfield was getting a lot of a lot of heat and uh, people got to be patient with him too. Look at a Baylor. I mean, over at Carolina, he had you know uh, I, I believe it was like forty eight hundred uh, yards passing, twenty six hundred yard rushing. So he does. You know, it, it's it's one of those things where he likes to throw and run the ball. And then over at Baylor, he had his most balanced offense. I believe it was like two sixty five. Um, passing 160 uh running per game. And so, like, you know, his offenses has shown success and shown balance, but um, you know, people just got to be patient.
0: Yep. You know, one one move that they made that might help bolster that offense too. Glenn Thomas comes in as a co offensive coordinator. Uh, he was the quarterback coach from the Steelers. Uh, how does that help moving forward?
1: Yeah, and this is another one where where people were a little bit upset because uh a lot of Nebraska fans had their heart set on Daniel Holgerson um Dana Holgerson though the the you know and Dana Holgerson still might come over as an analyst just because he's getting so much money from his buyout with uh University of Houston so like he he, sometimes that happens where these guys will come over and they'll take less pay because they're collecting that big buyout yeah the only problem I see with Holgerson is that Holgerson's a very type a personality he's very he's very outside the box and you know he comes from Mike Leach so um it Holgerson and Rule are both type A personalities. The one difference is Matt Rule's biggest focus is recruiting, and Dana Holgerson hates recruiting. And so uh, that's why I saw a little bit of a potential issue when they were meeting there. Um, yeah. And I think that's why you know he he went to Glenn Thomas first um, after that meeting because it's somebody he trusts. He's uh, Glenn Thomas has worked with Matt Rule at Temple and Baylor. He was with him at, at, in both of his rebuilds there. Um, you know, and he's got, he's got a history of success, you know, he did 2012 to 2014. He helped, uh, develop Matt Ryan and Matt Ryan had two of his three pro, pro bowls in the time he was there. And, um, you know, he was number one in completion percentage for the only time in his career. Matt Ryan was during, uh, Glenn Thomas's time there as the co-oc and QB coach, um, went over to temple, you know, helped develop PJ Walker over there, brought them from like a hundredth, um, in scoring to 42nd. Um, in two seasons, you know, over at Baylor brought them from 98th in scoring to 27th in scoring. Um, helped develop Charlie Brewer over there. So yeah, and, you know, Charlie Brewer was a was a 2019 Davy O'Brien finalist. And then not only that, he went over to UNLV and ASU and helped develop their run games there. Charles Charles Williams set the program rushing record. Xavier Valade, you know, was 10th in ASU history in in rushing yards. And Trenton Bourget, the, the ASU quarterback in 2022. Uh, had the uh, all-time completion percent lead at 71.4%. And so, you know, people point to his time at um, at at Pittsburgh because the quarterback's there. And the thing about that is he wasn't even a uh, QB coach there. He was an offensive analyst. So, yeah, he wasn't even a QB coach there. And so um, he's coming over as a QB coach, you know, slash co-OC. Um, it was probably going to be harder hard to get him to come over as just a QB coach to pluck a guy from the NFL. So as a yeah. co-OC, you know, He's worked with Satterfield because Satterfield worked with Rule, too. So they've all worked together. So these guys trust each other. Um, and, again, they've all had success together. You can't point to one of these guys and say, like, oh, this is all because of Rule. This is all because of him. They've worked together. And so, you know, Matt Rule, does he he likes these connections with these former coaches and, and former players, and so he's, he's doubling down on that. And if he trusts these guys, he's made the right decision so far you know i trust in him but just looking at you know i went and really broke down glenn thomas's resume and and it speaks for itself you know it's if you look at the most recent stop one season in pittsburgh i don't think you're 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 really uh giving him a fair shake there so um extremely excited to see how they mold these mold these two things together in these two styles of offense
0: yeah and it I, you know there's always particularly when things aren't going as well as you wish there's always a bit of, well, this is the, the higher I would like, and this is going to fix all the things. Mm-hmm. And it, I think, you know, we, we go back to culture. If you want to form culture and you want to form consistency and continuity, you don't go and get the splash higher necessarily. You go and get the guys who are going to help build the foundation. Exactly. And you know, he's ha- he has history with Glenn Thomas, obviously has history with Marcus Satterfield. And so I think I think a lot of what you're saying makes a lot of sense also I, I think it's easy to scapegoat Pittsburgh because Kenny Pickett has looked not very good no
1: no amazing <laughs> probably, putting
0: it not, probably putting it kindly yeah uh, but the track record that you just gave us makes it much more palatable to say hey this is this is not a bad hire in fact this could be a potentially great hire for Nebraska.
1: Exactly. And, in, in, uh, you know, I, I think he's just one of those names that's that's kind of flown under the radar under the rule tutelage because he wasn't one of the guys that followed him over, um. you know, rule. I feel like his his name value, you know, when he came to Nebraska kind of elevated just because it's a big hire, you know, getting hired in Nebraska is a big hire um, and then coming off of the Panthers stint um you know he's it he was a little bit one of those things where his his name value dropped and and so like coming over you know you see the guys like Satterfield come over and they're they're widely regarded names and he hires this guy Glenn Thomas um and, and so it's I think it's easy to sit here and, and look back and and see like and think to yourself like who is this guy you know yeah. but kind of like you know we alluded to it, just he's his track record is success and again like rule I, one of the biggest things I respect about rules in the modern college football world of NIL and it's like the wild wild west. Everything's moving, a ton of moving parts. He still finds a way to be patient and and not. It's very probably easy to want to make a big splash higher and be you know blasted on social media and and have all this attention to the organization, but but he trusts in his. Plan and his staff so much that he is still sticking to those guys no matter what you know everywhere he's been he stick with these guys that that have made him successful and I think that's one of the things that some of these coaches do you know some of these coaches will go get a job somewhere and just try to bring on a bunch of these big name guys um to help them but yeah I it's he stuck the same method with his style of recruiting, you know, looking for these under-the-radar type of guys, but now he's he's able to recruit some of the top guys as well. But he, he sticks to what he knows and what he did at Temple and Baylor. There's still elements of that here, even in this uh this changing college football landscape. So
0: yeah. Would you, and I know you're a Nebraska guy, mm-hmm. but I think could could we make the case that the Nebraska coaching staff is maybe the most underrated staff in the big 10?
1: Uh, I would definitely say so just because I, you know, kind of like I've talked about today, I, unless people are really digging into some of this stuff and really know these connections, it's hard for, and it's no fault of people's. It's just like, it's hard for them to know this kind of behind the scenes stuff. It's very easy to look at Nebraska on the field and on the surface and, you know, see Glenn Thomas, the Steelers' coach, get hired. You know, and look at that on the surface and be like, "Why? You know, why would he hire this guy? You know, what did we miss on Holgerson?" And I, I think if people just look a little deeper into it, it, it's it that's not the case at all. It's not what it seems to be on the surface, and uh, it's it's one of those things where it's always going to take time. You know, Scott mm-hmm. Frost type of turnarounds. Don't happen, and we saw that that might have been a little bit of a flash in the pan luck there, and so it, it it'll come in time, it'll come to fruition in time. So I think it's fair the way people see him from the outside right now, and um, but I think I think he'll earn his way up, and I, I think that's the way he wants it. He's the type of guy he wants to prove himself, he wants to earn his way up, but um, yeah, and I think he's the biggest thing is I think he's a guy who's going to be here a while. He he said it himself. He's a college guy, and I don't think there's a place that he probably go to that can give him more resources or or more money that's going to hire, you know, like besides your, you know, you got your Ohio States and your Michigans, of course, but I think as far as resources go and money goes, Nebraska's right there with those schools in terms of what they can ride and pay coaches and stuff like that, and so um, I think he's going to be there for a long time. And I think that's another very valuable aspect in the modern college football world. That that's hard. You know, you see it at Washington, you got to get guys who want to be there and, and be there long-term. And I think rules is going to be very underrated in that aspect too.
0: Yeah. Well, I've never seen a program and I have no shame in saying this is an Ohio state guy, mm-hmm. the fan loyalty at Nebraska, I think, and there's a lot of loyal fan bases in the big 10, yeah, but I, I I would put Nebraska at the top above anybody in terms of fan loyalty with the way the sellouts and the I mean, just and the way they've stuck with the program, even through the Scott Frost era, the Mike Riley era, Bill Callahan, like all those guys, like they have been very, very faithful. And so that's just another, you know, it's not just the resource, the money resources, but those fans are going to continue to bolster that as well and so that that has to be just a breath of fresh air probably for matt rule too like you have yeah. the resources but then you have the fans who really support the use of those resources
1: yeah and that's that's actually a very good point because um you know there's this thing called the 1890 collective that nebraska been working on for a long while and uh what it is it's it's a uh, you know other schools have this stuff um too now where it's fan donations and so the 1890 Collective, five days before the early National Signing Day, they opened up and they set a $500,000 goal. And in five days, Nebraska fans donated over 800. I, I don't know if it quite got to 900,000, but over, you know, up, almost a million dollars. And so in the boosters, you know, um, you know, the boosters donated private jet. You know, it's one of those things that's like these, the some of these boosters and, you know, in the fan support, that really helps. And just like you said, just the loyalty, because you hear all the recruits talk about it when they go out there, just how blown away they are. You know, um, I flew out there, you know, Scott Frost first year to watch us at zero and six beat Minnesota, you know, week seven. So it's one of those things. It's, it's, it's always, and the vibes are always good out there. It's always fun, but yeah, it's, it's, I agree. And and I, I try not to say it too much because I don't like to be like one of those like, Oh, we got the best fan base. You know, I like, I like it organic and and other people to kind of pick up on it. But, you know, I truly truly believe that, but just because it honestly does not matter how bad we are. I don't think, you know, everybody that I know is a Nebraska fan, none of those people would stop watching. And so that that right there to me is just kind of like, you know, that's the fan base for the most part. We do have our bad apples just as everybody else. But but for the most part, it's one of those things where we live, you know, live and die, husker football. And it's something that's once it's kind of in your DNA, it's something that that you just can't get rid of. It'll never go away.
0: That's good stuff. So, let me let me ask a quick que- uh, two last quick questions here. First mm-hmm. is this, defensively, uh they they really played well. You said top 25 in the country. I think really played like they they deserved that black shirt moniker. Uh do you see them repeating that in 2024?
1: Yeah, I do. And um, you know, Tony White brought in the 335 from Syracuse and and uh what he was able to do with the talent that we we had on the team, you know, based on what our defense looked like last year, year over year into this year. And and what it really was is, you know, there's a lot of physicality um, and you look at the team, you know, when when they stand a guy up, there's hats flying to the ball. You know, everybody is getting to the ball. Mm-hmm. Nobody's given up on a play. There's no, you know, the tackling issues that we had under Scott Frost, you know, we're tackling in the open field. We're making it. We're, we're being gap sound on runs. You know, it, it's the little things that it's the little fundamental things that that Tony White's brought in, but also schematically, the three, three, five is hard to prepare for because, you know, you have the jack and the rover position and they're moving all over the field. You know, you got those versatile linebackers that can drop in the secondary like Isaac Gifford. They can drop into the secondary. They can come off the edge. They can play in the middle. You know, those guys are all over the field. And so you never know which guy is going to drop into coverage you never know which guy's going to rush you never know if they're gonna bring you know a blitz um and so it's a lot of confusion on the defensive side and I think that scheme really really has has thrown a lot of people off and the way Tony Tony White schemes it up is is to perfection um the biggest thing about this defense is we're turning eight of the 11 starters um and not only that we've gone out and bolstered um that a little bit in the uh in the linebacker, uh, room because we went out and got stefan thompson from syracuse you know stefan thompson um was with tony white over at um over at syracuse and you know he his freshman year he came out of the gates was the first freshman true freshman starter in syracuse in 10 years and okay. uh so yeah started immediately came out and had a great season you know he had his uh four i think it was uh four force fumbles which was first in the uh I think it was first in the ACC. I can't quite remember the stats off the top of my head, but then, um, going into his, you know, second freshman season, because 2020 was his freshman season, the COVID year. Um, he was second in the team in tackles that year. And, um, you know, was second behind Michael Jones, who ended up going and actually playing in the NFL. Um, not, not very long, but that's the type of guy who's behind, was on the, uh, Budkis award finalist list. So, but, but, uh, he was supposed to be the guy that took over whenever Michael Jones left for the NFL, but then he tore his ACL in 2022. Again, very similar story to the, to the Isaiah Nair Um, came back in 2023, had 53 tackles. The the thing about the off season and the recovery from Stefan Thompson between uh, 2022 and 2023 that people don't realize is he was in a green practice jersey non-contact for much of the off season. So he actually had to get confidence back in that ligament and get those reps on the field. And so for him to come out and still have 53 tackles and and have a really good season, um, and I think it's one of those the one of those things where they saw, you know, hey, an under-the-radar type of guy, still a 90 rated guy in the portal, but he's gonna come over and instantly make he's a very versatile linebacker. He he's uh six one, about two forty. So he, you know, he come off the edge, he can play the middle, but I believe he's gonna be in the jack position, move around a lot. A lot of playmakers on this defense, and a lot of young talent on this defense. We return a lot of guys, so I think the defense is one of those things that's going to be um, very sustainable.
0: So defense looks set and and bolstered. Offense has a lot of hope. Matt Rule is is known as you know a year two guy, right? Mm-hmm. He traditionally has popped every second year wherever he's gone. Temple, Baylor, they have a tougher schedule you know mm-hmm. they have they're at USC they're at Iowa this year they're at Ohio State um they host Wisconsin UCLA uh and Rutgers yeah and and Colorado what do you see happening uh 2024 I know this is way too early prediction oh yeah what would you what would you say right now year 2 is going to look like for Matt Rule in Nebraska
1: yeah, our last Tuesday live stream, we actually went over the uh, the schedule. So this is perfect timing for that. Um, I had it pegged at eight and four. Uh, I think we come out early in the season because that early slate of games is fairly easy. Those are all very winnable games. And then the back half, it gets a little bit tougher. And so I think just kind of like, you know, the the toll of those games and playing some of those tough games on the road is going to to add up and the travel and all that. And so I think the back half is where we're going to kind of drop a few of those games. But I think if we can, especially at the end of the season, if we can win like maybe two of the last three, um, I think that would be big going into the offseason. But, you know, I, I, I peg it at an eight and eight and four um, schedule, just trying to be um, that's probably about my middle of the road. I would say the floors, you know, probably six wins. And then the ceiling. I would have to. I would have to go back over to look at ceiling. I try not to look at the ceiling because I usually am let down. So, but yeah, it's it's a easy front half, relentless back half. But the good thing about that is that gives Ryola time to get in there and develop and get these young guys time to get in there and develop. the The schedule couldn't have worked out more perfect in 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 that instance. Because we are such a young team, it is going to be good for him to get in there and get some of those. I'm not going to say easy games because nothing's been easy for us, but those more winnable, easier games. You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Last question, and then I'll send you Mm -hmm. out here. Um, Which game would you say would you point to to say this is the make or break game for our season?
1: I would probably have to say, you know, there's there's a stretch there where I first off, I think, I think Colorado, we probably need to beat. Um, I think that's just because of the polarization of that game and the conversation, in the national media, if we lose to Colorado twi- twice in a row and have to yeah. deal with the primetime nonsense, uh, <laughs> that's one for the national Yeah, Don't get me started on that. That's one for the, for the national, um, you know, kind of overall view. But I think, In regards to just the schedule, I, I I really think we need to finally pull, like an an upset of some kind. You know, it seems like we haven't had a we haven't had a a win against a ranked opponent, and uh, what is it since twenty nineteen or something like that? Or it's been a long time since we won against top twenty five opponent. I think that is going to be a key this year. Is trying to finally get over the hump in one of those instances. you know I think it's going to be one of those where we have to kind of break a trend somewhere and I think that's a good start. I think there is going to be some some on this schedule some teams that may sneak in the back half of the top 25 you know and I think and even going on on and competing with a team like you know in Ohio State and, and, and keeping it close with them on top of maybe pulling a a top 25 upset or you know pulling off a couple of of one score victories. I don't think there's any one game I can point to and say, you know, this is a must win. I think it's just, and I think year three, we can start to do that. I think in year two, it's still going to see a lot of these things progress. And, um, I think it's just little, little notches in the cap that we haven't been able to get over the hump. And that's like beating, you know, getting that monkey off the back of not beating a top 25 team of making a bowl game and stuff like that. So.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I have, I have Nebraska at USC circled because yeah. I think if, if Rayola can play well and they are physical, although I, I think Danton Lynn that hire was really good for USC. Mm. um, But I could see where the physicality, even at Southern Cal could yeah. really mess with the Trojans.
1: Yeah. And, and, we alluded to this uh, on our show when we were talking about, you know, is this a preview of what's to come with the Big Ten, you know, the the Big Ten going against the Pac-12, in the National Championship game, the top of the top, you know. Was that kind of a wake-up call for the Pac-12 to be like, okay, like maybe we're going to have to adjust a little bit more to the Big Ten style of play because they kind of got bullied. Yep. And, you know, that's another thing that I'm not sure is what's going to happen with these, you know, Pac-12 teams come over that aren't used to the physicality seeing how they're going to transition over to that because yeah, USC is a a very good team, but um, it would do a lot for Nebraska beating, you know, a a couple of these teams that come over from the PAC 12 and kind of set the tone early because of, you know, this is the first season that this is all kind of taking place. And I think it's going to be an arms race in the very beginning. And it's going to be a lot of, a lot of that PAC 12 versus big 10 mentality still in there. And so I think that's why those games are especially important. I think that's one of those, those games where Nebraska really to show that they are, you know, transitioning into a big 10 team, they're going to have to show their physicality against those type of teams. And they're going to have to be able to, to out physical those type of teams to be able to compete in the big 10. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's exciting to see, but it's also, you know, kind of nerve wracking in a way because you don't know what to expect um, with a lot of these teams coming over. So, It'll, uh, it'll be fun, though.
0: Yeah. Well, this has been fun. So thank you, Justin, for coming on the show. Again, real quick, where can we find you uh, on your shows and on social media? Yeah,
1: so um, you can follow me at um, on X at the underscore H-Town Husker. Um, and Mark Rogers over at Nebraska Football at The Voice of College Football. So if you search that or Nebraska VOCFB. Uh, and then, um, also at big 10 show on X and uh, big 10 show on uh, YouTube as well. So
0: cool. Well, Justin, thanks again for being on the show. Uh, for again, me. for all of you guys, make sure to check out the big 10 show, Mark Rogers, the Nebraska show, and, uh, check out Justin on X as well. Of course, you know where to find us, Spotify, Google, Apple, leave a review, shoot us emails, We really are so grateful for you all. Uh, Make sure you, you guys tune in on Thursday. We'll be back. Until then, take care and God bless.
1: Peace.